the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is your host, Bob Bergman, broadcasting from my office in San Jose, uh, West San Jose, actually, near the Westgate Shopping Center, if you're familiar with that area. I hope all of you out there who are listening today uh, have had a, a safe and hopefully restful and joyful holiday season. I know I've had some good time with my family and my in-laws visiting from Chicago. I know we're uh, all very, very, um, very, very happy as a family as how our Chicago Bears have been doing this year. I'm sorry, all of you 49ers fans out there, um, but uh, I am a Bears fan, and that means you shut me off. I'm sorry about that. I hope we can't let our religious differences get in the way of having a good conversation. Um, I have a, a number of things to go over today, but first of all, I want to let you know you can call me because I am live today. It's 800 516 1220 if you have any questions you want to ask of me in the area of estate planning. Uh, you can also email me at radio at lawbob.com. You can send me questions that way as well, or just send me a quick email. Let me know that you're listening in today. I'm finding that I'm getting contacted by more and more people who have heard the show or heard the tail end of a show, or and now they're starting to be regular listeners. That's great. I I hope that I have a pretty good audience out there listening to me because I want to take the time every Friday afternoon whenever possible to commit to this hour to pass on information that's going to be useful for you. In the new year, I do have more of my Living Trust Seminars and my Retirement Plan Trust Seminars already scheduled. Uh, The next ones for both of those are next Saturday the 5th of January, that's a week from tomorrow, and uh, and I'll be doing those presentations at that time in my office. You can go to my website at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com, and click on the links for the seminars. That'll take you into a calendar where you can pick dates and times, which will in turn take you to eventbrite.com, where you can actually do the registration. Or you can go straight to Eventbrite and search for Living Trust Seminar or Retirement Plan Trust Seminar, and you'll see listings of all the seminars I have coming up uh, over the next couple of months. For uh, the past several months this year, uh, I have made it the primary feature of my show 
that I go through and cover estate planning situations that people have actually posted looking for answers for from around the state of California. Today is going to be no exception. I have a number of them I've looked at ahead of time, and I think there's going to be some interesting things in here for you. It may impact you in your life right now. It might be something you experienced in your past. The other possibility is it may be something that you'll face in the future, and then you'll remember, hey, that attorney in San Jose, Bob Bergman, talked about this. Maybe he's somebody that could help us out with our situation now that it's come upon us. Now, here is um, here is a situation out of Southern California, and this is someone who says she verbally made an agreement with her granddaughter uh, when the granddaughter came to live with me after I had a stroke, and it left me requiring 24-hour care, and since she helped me out, I need to fulfill my part. It says here, my husband and I had an ABC trust, that's a trust that basically is divided when the first spouse dies into revocable shares and irrevocable shares. Everything was split 50-50 with the conditions of allowing me to use my husband's portion, that's the irrevocable portion, for health and care needs. I have decided to give my half to my daughter who has taken care of and been my companion for 10 years and then also to my granddaughter, who stepped in when needed these last three years. How can I legally write this so my other four children cannot contest this agreement? Well, kind of the short answer is this, is you take and you have your separate trust, whatever your separate share is, you have that rewritten to say, I leave everything to my daughter and my granddaughter in whatever way you want. And then uh, you you have that notarized you have that preferably prepared by an attorney to do that and uh, and at the same time you indicate and I don't here's my other four children and I do not want them to receive anything now here's the deal if someone's not receiving anything from a trust or an estate they have literally nothing to lose if they go and fight about it in court if you leave those people a fairly significant sum of money and then put in uh, put in uh, what's called a no-contest provision, then that might discourage them from fighting about things in court because if they lose, they could very well lose whatever you've left to them. In this case, it doesn't sound like this person wants to leave anything from her property to the other four children, and I get the impression her other four children couldn't be bothered to help her out at all uh, over this time when, when she had her stroke and was recovering. So my advice would be something along these lines. Let's do a trust that leaves everything the way you want and doesn't leave anything to your four children. Then let's turn around and a month later, let's do that trust all over again, exact same terms, but just have it be restated all over again. In the course of this, you also do a will at the same time that refers to whatever the most recent trust is. Then another month later, you do another restatement. You just restate the original trust. You do that two or three or four times, and now you've got two, three, four different versions of your trust, all of which are the same. Now, if one of your children wants to contest things, 
They have to start with the most recent trust. They have to demonstrate you had no idea what you were doing or there was undue influence or something like that. And if they were somehow to win that case, then it means that the next oldest trust becomes the one that's in effect. And, of course, it says exactly the same thing as the one, the most recent one. And the thing is, if you have multiple trusts done over the course of several months that say the same thing, just restated, it's kind of hard to argue that you had no idea what you were doing, that there was undue influence, and all sorts of things. It also means that those children would actually have to go to court over and over and over and over attacking each restated trust by itself. That right there might be enough to discourage them from taking any kind of action to try to interfere with your wishes. So that's kind of a tactic that could be used. I haven't had to use it in my practice, but it's one I would certainly use if I suspected that there were going to be issues with a client's other children down the line. Now, we're starting to come up on the the first break of the show today. I want to remind you, you can call in today, 800-516-1220. I'm happy to talk with you and answer your questions. I find it's often a much more entertaining show when someone calls in. You can email me at radio at lawbob.com. And when I come back after the break, I'm going to continue on with more of these situations that have come around uh, the state of California, what I call questions and comments. And uh, hopefully you'll hear something that will be beneficial to you or someone you know. And if you need help, I might be able to be the one that can assist you with that. Uh, So coming back after the break, we'll continue on with that. Until then, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, your host on Plan Your Estate Radio. And we'll be back after a brief commercial break. I'll talk with you then. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. We had a great break there. I took a little break to have a little bit of water, try and clear my throat here. So uh, continuing on with more questions and comments from around the state of California, uh, here is a situation out of uh, the area around Legoland in Southern California. And uh, let's see here. Here it says, uh, my mom spent nine years taking care of my grandmother uh, and then passed. My grandmother went to the funeral, and then my aunt had me removed from the house the next day um, after Grandma was admitted to the hospital. And then uh, the next morning, Grandma signed trust amendment papers giving everything to the aunt, Um, which included taking my mother's and my uncle's portions away from the surviving grandchildren. I believe she was threatened to do so by the aunt, who is now the sole recipient of the trust. Now, uh, Grandma was 85 years old, which suggests that there may be an elder financial abuse issue here. 
uh, if one daughter came in and got her mother to sign an amender trust, leaving everything to that daughter, but there was a, a first daughter who was actually taking care of the mother um, for nine years and then died, that sure sounds on the surface like there was some very, very unsavory practices being undertaken by the daughter that now ends up with everything or will end up with everything. That could very well be elder financial abuse. This person who is the granddaughter who's concerned about that might very well want to consider going to adult protective services in the county where this is located and uh, tell them what happened and suggest that maybe there is some... um, I use this old-fashioned term, shenanigans going on between her aunt and her grandma. When I hear a story like that, my first thought is the daughter who wasn't helping out at all swoops in to try and take everything away from the family of the daughter who was helping for nine years. And on the surface, to me, it sounds like that was inappropriate. There's probably undue influence There may have even been a threat made against the grandmother or something like that, in which case I would recommend that something like that should be investigated further. So here, um, here's someone uh, in, again, in Southern California who says, I'm disabled and I get government benefits, but I don't have any money for an attorney. Well, that's pretty common, actually. A small home that is paid in full is to be quit claim to me, which means whoever owns it is going to transfer it to this person uh, so that this person now owns it. But the person's afraid, will it affect my benefits? How do I go up setting up a trust before receiving it? Or do I do a quit claim with a letter of intent to transfer the property now? Let's slow this down here. First of all, the person who's going to give the property or give the home to this other person might want to consider setting up a third-party special needs trust, what we call actually a supplemental needs trust here in California, and then transfer the property to that trust for the benefit of the disabled person. That will mean that it's not at all considered an available asset to the person, um, and they can live in it, and the trust holds on to it and maintains it and things like that. So that would be my recommendation. If it's already been transferred, my next question would be, is the disabled person going to live in the property or rent it out for income? If they're going to live in the property, then what they should, and it becomes their residence, a residence does not count against you for government benefits that you receive that are needs-based benefits, like SSI, which is Supplemental Security Income. Um, that is paid for someone who doesn't have any income and cannot work to generate an income. Uh, Medi-Cal, which could be someone's health insurance, uh, that would also be a needs-based program. There's a lot of different programs like that. Having a home you live in uh, will not really count against your ability to receive those benefits. And then further, if you take that home and put it into even a living trust here in California, then it would not be subject to a recovery claim by the state uh, state of California the Department of Health and Human Services, which would otherwise collect for any benefits that were paid. Instead, it would be protected 
from being taken for those benefits later on, for any reimbursement claims from the state for Medi-Cal, for example. So the better thing, though, would be to have that put into a supplemental needs trust instead of quit claim directly to the disabled person. Now, here's someone who says they have an alcoholic adult child that they want to make sure is taken care of. Um, so they're hopeful that, that the child will eventually overcome this and become a recovering alcoholic, but they're not sure it's going to happen. Um, the thing they want to do is they want, uh, I was going to have uh, my child's siblings tell her they would help her as she needs it. Of course, you cannot rely on the siblings to help out. And this person's worried that if she knows there's a large amount of money sitting there, she may give up trying to get clean and sober. So the question is, if I set up a trust and put money or property in there to take care of my alcoholic child, is it legal for the fact of the trust to not be disclosed to my child? So the short answer to that is no. If you set up a trust that is irrevocable and there's a beneficiary of the trust, under California law, they're entitled to be notified that there is a trust where they're a beneficiary and to be provided with a copy of the terms of the trust. So there's no real way to leave the property in trust for the child and and then have the child not be notified. This person want to know, can I do a secret trust? And the answer is, no, you really can't. And if the, uh, if the trustee did not notify the alcoholic child, um, the trustee could end up getting into difficulties later on if the alcoholic child then finds out about the trust. They were never notified, and then the trustee might be attacked for the failure to notify that the trust existed. Now, here's one. I think I'm going to wrap this up in the second segment. We have maybe about a minute and a half to go or so. If there was a no contest clause in a trust or a will that says you cannot directly or indirectly challenge the will without losing your rights to inheritance, and if there's a later amendment that you want to challenge and that was issued that you feel was done under duress, and the person who made the change appears to have been incapacitated and made it in favor of a caregiver who is holding the purse strings, would you lose your rights? You know what? You're going to have to wait until after the break to find out the answer to that because it's a very, very good question, and it's something that comes up fairly frequently here in the state of California. And especially involving a caregiver, that's a really big red flag right there. So stay tuned until after my mid-show break. And we'll come back and answer that question. Until then, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, your host of Plan Your Estate Radio. Talk with you after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. Before the break, I was talking about a situation where uh, someone had a, looks like a trust, 
And um, there's a no contest provision in the trust, which basically is designed, uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show, it's designed to keep people from going into court and fighting about whether or not the trust is valid or challenging the trust in some way. And here, if it says if there was a later amendment that was issued and you want to challenge it and you feel that amendment was done under duress, undue influence, and the person, when they made the change, appeared to have been incapacitated and made it in favor of a caregiver who was in charge of all the finances. The question is, is that something that could be challenged without the no contest provision being implemented? Well, first of all, if there's an amendment that's done to an existing trust and the amendment does not have a no contest provision, but just refers back to the original trust, you could actually contest the amendment because it doesn't have a no contest provision. Um, when you do an amendment to a trust, if you want a no contest provision to be part of that, uh, to cover the changes you just made, then the amendment has to have a no contest provision as well. Otherwise, you can't bring back or haul in the no contest provision from the original trust and bring it into the amendment. That's kind of what California law says. So, yeah, you could challenge. But the real issue here is that uh, if the person was incapacitated, then the amendment could be challenged and be made void. And if it's in favor of a caregiver who is holding the purse strings, that opens up a whole new set of questions. Um, The first and foremost is, was the caregiver an immediate family member? If that's the case, then the issue comes down to undue influence, duress, uh, fraud, something like that, where the or or where they threatened the person and so they made the change. But if the caregiver was not an immediate family member, if it was um, someone who was hired to be a caregiver, if it was a friend who was acting as the caregiver. There's a general law here in California that if anything over $5,000 worth of value of property is left to a caregiver, the presumption under the law is that the gift itself is invalid as a matter of law. Uh, The only way to really get around that is in the case of a trust is by having the person making that gift to their caregiver. And a lot of people do that. They'll leave substantial money, sometimes even leave real estate to someone who took care of them for several years who was not a relative, maybe even getting paid to take care of them, but they develop a relationship and they want to benefit that person. In that case, the one who wants to make the gift can have an attorney do what's called a certificate of independent review, which means the attorney interviews the person who wants to make the gift And if the attorney is satisfied that the person making the gift is of sound mind, they know just what they're doing, they understand the the legal implications of making this gift, then the attorney can issue a certificate saying this person knows what they're doing and they want to make this gift and there's nothing wrong with them doing that. That certificate of independent review actually can be used to rebut or overcome the presumption that the gift was improper. And I've done a number of those over the years. I've done them for other attorneys, for their clients, 
where they had uh, an older client and they want to make sure that there's uh, that you have some insurance to head off any claims of undue influence and things like that uh, because the people wanted to actually leave property to a caregiver. Um, so there's a way to do it in the law. There's a right way to do it in the law. Other ways are subject to being challenged. So if you're in a situation like that and you want to leave property to a caregiver who's not an immediate family member like a child or niece or nephew or something like that, but it's just a friend or or things along those lines, then uh, you should consider that. It really um, only applies when someone is over 65 years of age, um, but it's not a bad practice when it's done pretty much for anyone who wants to do that as uh, and they want to leave property to a caregiver. Now, just leaving property to a friend, that's a whole different thing. But if they were taking care of you, like taking you to medical appointments, um, cooking meals for you, helping you bathe, helping you uh, get dressed, um, helping you get around, all that, that is more of a caregiver. They could be your best friend, but they're still a caregiver under the law. And uh, you want to have that actually, um, actually reviewed by an independent attorney who can say that it's okay. Here's someone uh, up in Northern California that is refinancing their home. They want to put their son's name in their trust to receive the home when the person dies. And the question is, when I die, will my son be able to assume the loan when he receives the house after I've died? And the answer to that is... uh, uh, maybe if the lender permits it and the son is creditworthy, um, but kind of as a general rule, the lender does not have to let the son assume the loan or continue on with the loan if the lender finds out that the that the parent has passed away. Now, I know a lot of people over the years, a parent passes away, they're living in the home, they just continue living there. Uh, They let the county know that the house is theirs. They file paperwork there to clear the title. But they just keep paying the mortgage. And as a practical matter, unless a lender finds out that the borrower has died, as long as they're getting their payments every month, they're not really checking that, and probably they don't really care. Uh, Also, as a practical matter, they're only going to really care if they could take the money loaned on that property and loan it out at a higher interest rate today than what they were getting paid when the original loan was made. Then if they find out, they might very well say, you know what, we're going to call the loan. We're not going to let you assume the loan. You can always refinance the loan if you'd like, of course, at a higher interest rate. Or you can get your own loan and pay us off so we can go loan our money out at a higher return than we're getting on the existing loan on that property that was owned by your parent. Those are kind of the practical effects of all that, uh, practically what would happen. So here, this one is a uh, kind of approaches the level of a of a bar exam question, meaning the kind of question that would be asked um, on the state bar. In this case, it actually might be asked on the specialist exam for estate planning uh, specialization, which I... I took a number of years ago and passed, and that's why I'm a board-certified specialist in estate planning. Here it says, I am the grantor of a quitclaim deed, 
and my deceased husband is the grantee. So what that means is wife granted property to her husband, and then he died. So now it's the husband's property. He didn't leave a will or a trust. As the surviving spouse, is it possible for me to get a, a quit claim on the house or a quiet title so it can avoid probate of the property? Would our three adult children need to agree to a quit claim in, uh, in my name due to intestate succession? This is someone who's done a little bit of reading. If this person gave property to their spouse and then the spouse died, sounds like they probably quit claimed it to the spouse as the spouse's sole and separate property, meaning it's not marital property or community property, which is property of the marriage. So even though this person's the surviving spouse, if it's in the deceased spouse's name and there's no will or trust, they're going to have to go to probate. Surviving spouse would not be able to go to court under a spousal property petition and say, hey, uh, this property that I quit claim to my husband was, in fact, community property, and now it passes to me. No. What would happen here, because there's a surviving spouse and three adult children, is they'd have to go through probate. The husband, deceased husband's property is going to be divided between the surviving spouse and the three adult children. Because there are more than one adult, more than one child, it's going to be divided up this way. One-third to the surviving spouse, two-thirds to between the three children who are living at the time. And that's because it is, in fact, intestate succession. Intestate succession basically is fancy legal terms for who gets your stuff when you die if you don't have a will or trust or some other plan. That's intestate succession. It means no last will and testament. You did not die testate with a will. You died intestate. Intestate meaning no will. So we're about done for this segment right here. Uh, I want to introduce the next one and then uh, probably finish up after the break with the last segment of the show. Um, Here's someone says uh, they have a reverse mortgage and want to know, can I put my house with a reverse mortgage into a living trust in order to avoid the need for a probate on my death? It's the only asset I have that would make my estate large enough to require a probate. Well, I'll tell you, I can answer this one in a very straightforward way. The answer is yes, absolutely yes. Even if it has a reverse mortgage, you can put it into a living trust as long as you're still living in the property. And uh, that would then, in fact, avoid probate at death. And that would be a good type of planning to do for that person. So we're coming up on the uh, third break of the show. After this break, we'll have the remainder of the show, the shortest segment. So until then, wait for the final segment of the show. This is attorney Bob Bergman. I'll talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. This is attorney Bob Bergman, Plan Your Estate Radio host. 
Uh, this is the last segment of the show. This is your last chance to call into the show in 2018 because I won't be back on the air until next year. And, of course, next year will be uh, first week of January 2019. It's hard to believe that 2018 is almost over. It's gone by so fast. I've watched my um, my daughters grow up this year. They're almost as tall as their mother, and uh, they'll they're turning eleven in a few months. They're twins, and uh, it's amazing. They can already wear their mother's shoes, and eventually they're probably going to not be able to wear their mother's shoes anymore, which I'm sure will be good news for my wife because then she won't have to worry about her nice shoes being worn out by her daughters. So. Uh, Last segment of the show, let's jump into a few more of these situations around the state of California. Uh, Here's someone who said they're a beneficiary. I'm a beneficiary out of state, and there's a probate matter in San Diego, California. Can I hire any lawyer to represent me from the state of California, or am I only limited to San Diego County? The answer to the first question is, yes, you could hire an attorney anywhere in the state of California. As a practical matter, if it's a probate matter uh, in San Diego County, you probably want to hire an attorney who practices in San Diego County and is familiar with the probate court and kind of how they do things. In my experience, um, the different courts throughout the state of California, every county has its own probate court or courts, and they all have different ways of doing things. And it's very useful to have local counsel that's familiar with that local court's practices to represent you and help you out. Now, here's someone who said, my husband's passed away and I want to update our trust. How can I easily do this? Can I do this myself? Well, you can always do things like this yourself. Do I recommend it? Absolutely not. Uh, Because if you don't know what you're doing in the area of estate planning, you could easily make changes to your plan that actually create legal complications for your family after you die later. Uh, I've seen that happen where people have made changes to their trust, changes to their will, and now they create something that is ambiguous and that forces court action to figure out just what the person meant. So I would not recommend that. But a question I would have for this lady is, let me see the trust and see what type of trust you had with your husband. Did you have a trust that says everything is just left directly to you and now it's your trust and you can change the whole thing? Or do you have an AB trust or an ABC trust? And uh, no, we're not on Sesame Street here. We're talking about types of trusts that were very common back in the 70s, 80s, and even the 90s that required a property to be divided between a surviving spouse's share and a deceased spouse's share with the deceased spouse's share going into an irrevocable trust for the benefit of the surviving spouse. If you have that type of trust, you can't easily update the whole thing. You could only update the share that passed to you as the survivor that is now revocable and changeable. If you wanted to change the whole thing, you would likely have to go to court and with the permission of uh, probably your children, have the court 
modify the trust to say that you don't have to divide it into two pieces and at the same time maybe make the other changes you want to make as part of that action. I do that kind of thing for people uh, here in Santa Clara County and for people outside of Santa Clara County. I do that working through San Mateo County just up the highway about 25 minutes or so. And it's possible to actually make changes to an older type trust that requires that split or even an irrevocable trust that's already in effect, but everyone involved wants to change it, uh, but the person who created it has passed away. Uh, You can go to court under probate code section 15403, and you can actually make changes to a trust like that. I'm doing one of those right now that I'm handling for a family that I'm going to be going to uh, San Mateo Court in the next couple of weeks to handle that for them. And it's all going to be done ex parte, meaning with no formal hearing, which means I can walk in, hand over the papers, and walk out with a signed order making the changes. It's really amazing. If you have a situation like that where your spouse passed away and you have a trust that says you have to divide the property and you don't want to do that, and the kids are all on board saying, that's okay, Mom, that's okay, Dad, let's do that, give me a call, 408-247-0444, or email me at radio at lawbob.com, and uh, I'll be able to help you. To find out more, you can actually go to my dedicated website, irrevocabletrustdoctor.com, where I talk all about this issue. So we're wrapping it up now. I'm down to the last 45 seconds or so. I hope you've enjoyed the show today. I hope you could make it to one of my upcoming Living Trust or Retirement Plan Trust seminars in 2019, starting with my seminars next Saturday. You can register through eventbrite.com, or you can find out more information going through my website at lawbob.com. I hope you've enjoyed the show And I hope to hear from you in 2019. Please feel free to give me a call in the future when we come back in 2019. Until then, ahead of time, I wish all listening a happy new year and a prosperous new year. So until next year, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, your host for Plan Your Estate Radio. Goodbye and have a great year. To Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com, or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's Dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.